It's the name of God. In fact, in Exodus chapter 3 in the Old Testament, we find God's prophet Moses. And he encounters God in the burning bush. Remember, God reveals himself to Moses during this time. And he tells Moses that I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. And I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people, the Israelites, go to take them out of the land of Egypt under the oppression they are in and to release them. And Moses is told by God, you also got to go tell the Israelites that you're going to do this. You're going to take them out of that land of Egypt to the other side of the river or the sea. And so God tells him that. And Moses says, well, who shall I say has sent me when I tell the Israelites? And God says, tell them, I am who I am has sent you. God tells Moses, that is my name. I am. I am. That word, that phrase, I am, literally means God is saying, I be. I be. Meaning, I exist. I exist on my own. Nothing has made God. Nothing has created God. You and I, we're created, right? You and I have been made, but God is self-existing. He is who he is. He bees. <laughs> That's who God is. He's eternal, he always has been. He always will be. Everything that is has come forth from him. That's who God is. That's his name. And so when Jesus comes here on earth, something amazing is said by him a few different times in really eight statements in the Gospel of John. They're called the I Am Statements. Jesus will say, as we just heard, that I am the bread of life. I am the vine. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And we have these eight I am statements. In fact, one's in John 8, where at the end, the Pharisees will say to him about Abraham, um, Abraham was born before you. How could you be before him? And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And so Jesus makes these statements saying that I am God. I am God. And so during this week of Holy Week, that's what we're going to look at is these amazing statements that Jesus makes about who he is, that he is I am. And so we're going to look at five of them during the week, beginning today, Thursday, as you gather in small groups at Life Group, and then also on Friday night as we gather for Good Friday, and then Easter Sunday. We're going to look at five of these statements real specifically and really sit back and understand more clearly of who is Jesus. And at the end of the day, what does that mean for me? How does that impact my life? How does the I am impact me? And so let me pray, and then let's, let's get to it in John chapter 8 is where we're going to be at. Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, God, thank you for the beautiful testimony of Chris. And Lord, um, God, I pray today as we look at your word, um, literally your breath. God, I pray that you would teach us, you would correct us where correction is needed you would train us up for right living. 
right understanding, right thinking. Help us to see this morning. Help us to hear. May your words be sweeter than honey. In Jesus' name, amen. So John chapter 8, verse 12. That's where we'll begin today. Scott read it for us, but let's walk through this text. Jesus said again to them these words, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So the I am statement this morning is Jesus says, I am the light of the world. This is a beautiful verse. It's, it's loaded with meaning. But to understand fully what Jesus is saying here, we have to look at what he says before. We also have to look at what he says after. So we're going to do that this morning. And we've got to ask the question, what's the context, right? Because context is everything. If, if we miss context, we'll, we'll get off base here. We'll, we'll, we'll miss what he's really trying to say. And so what's the context? Well, to help with that a little bit, if you look at verse 12, it, it says Jesus again spoke to them. And so it means he was doing something before this. He's going to do it again. And he's speaking to a group, as he says, to them. And so who is them and what is Jesus doing? Well, look at John chapter 8. Look at verse 1. Um, Jesus is in the temple. And he is teaching. All the people had come to him. He sat down, took the position of a rabbi, and he... So when he says that, what happens? They start filing out of the temple where Jesus was teaching at. And so they leave, and then all you have is Jesus and this woman. And Jesus looks at this woman, and it says that he said to her, Women, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. And then, we have in verse 12, Jesus, again, began to teach them. And so, imagine that, that the setting to this is amazing. And the context, I think, speaks loudly. Because Jesus then picks up and says, I am the light of the world. And so, think about this real quick. If Jesus is the light of the world, what kind of light is he? with the audio-visual <laughs> that he just gave us. He is a, not a condemning light. He is a light that is full of grace. Sure, he is a light that reveals darkness and sin. You betcha. 
but he is a light who comes on a search and rescue mission to take you and I who are in darkness and to bring us to light. And, and so don't think that, oh, that, that little episode right there, we can just kind of, okay, separate that from what Jesus is about to say. No, not at all. Because I think it speaks loudly to what kind of light he is. He's the light of grace. He's the light of truth. He's the light of love. And so as we read this, we, we get that from the context. But, but what else do we get? Because what it's going to be is going to be a little surprising. As we read this today, you're going to think to yourself, Jesus makes a statement in verse 12, and then he goes on a complete rabbit trail with something else. But he's not. In fact, what he's about to say in 13 through 30 is not a detour. It's not some kind of change where now he's teaching something else. What he's about to tell us is truly what it means for him to be the light of the world. And it's big. It's big. And so look at the text again. He says, I'm the light of the world. If you think about scripture, where do we see symbols or examples of light? We see it at the beginning of time as God creates the world. On the first day, he brought light. On the fourth day, he brings the lights, right, that fill the sky. In Exodus chapter 3, we see God revealing himself to Moses uh, through a flame, through a burning bush. He had previously protected and led the Israelites through the wilderness in a cloud uh, pillar of fire. Do you remember that? And so another symbol of light. He had appeared to the Israelites on Mount Sinai in what? In fire. And so we see these instances where um, God's presence is associated with fire or with light. And so symbolically, symbolically we see that. We also see it symbolically to define and, and characterize the characteristics of who God is. When you see light talk about in the scripture, you see it talks about God's revelation, his holiness, his salvation. Even the prophet Isaiah used the phrase light or word light to speak of the Messiah. He predicted that the servant of the Lord, the Messiah, would be a light to the nations. And so we see light used throughout scripture to speak of the presence of God. Other religions uh, speak of this idea of light and darkness. You, you see it used in different symbols, but Jesus is the true light. Even the Jews use the symbol of light. In fact, the Jews thought the true light was the Old Testament scriptures and their traditions. If you were to ask a Jew back in Jesus' day, even today, they, if you ask them, what's the true light? They would say the Old Testament, even specifically the Torah, the first five books of, of the Old Testament, the law, that they would say are traditions. They believed that they were um, authentically revelations from God. They would also tell you that the temple was also the true light. And even in Jesus' day, they had leaders that they looked to as the true light, but they did not believe that Jesus was the true light. And so you think about that. Jesus comes and he says, I'm the light of the world. And there's going to be some tension because these guys don't see it. And that's what happens. Look at verse 13. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world in verse 12. And look what happens in verse 13. It says, the Pharisees said to him. So these are those who are still in the temple. Some had left after the incident with the woman caught in adultery. But there's still those who are present. 
And they say to Jesus, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And so the religious leaders tell Jesus that what you say about who you are as being the light of the world, it's not valid. It's not valid. It's not true. And so look at what Jesus tells them. And I want you to see this here because Jesus will not mention the word light again. He'll mention it again in John chapter 12. We see it. But here in John 8, he doesn't mention the word light again. And so you might think, well, that's a little different. That seems like a little detour here. What's he doing? But I want you to stay on the course with the idea that he is defining what it really means for him to be the light of the world in these very words. And so look at verse 14 as he responds to the Pharisees who said, you're not valid. You're not the true light. But Jesus says to him, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. Verse 15, you judge according to the flesh. I'm not judging anyone, but even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I'm not alone in it, but I have the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Jesus says here that his testimony, his judgments are what? They're true. They're true. They are valid. He says his testimony is true based on what? Two things at the beginning there in verse 14. They're true based on where Jesus comes from and where Jesus is going which the Pharisees do not know where he came from. They don't know where he's going. And so here's a question. Well, what's the point? The point is this. Where Jesus came from and where he is going speaks of who he is. And what does it mean? Think about that. Where has he come? He's come from the Father. He's come from heaven. He's taken on human flesh. We know this week, as we celebrate Palm Sunday today, he enters Jerusalem. He sits with his disciples on Thursday night around a meal. He's betrayed that night by Judas, handed over to the religious leaders. On Friday, he'll hang on a cross. On Sunday, he'll raise again. For 40 days, he'll be on earth in his glorified body. He'll meet with his disciples. And then on the 40th day after that, he ascends into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God. And so what does that mean? Jesus has come from heaven. He's come from the side of the Father. He's now with the Father in heaven. And it speaks to who he is, that he is God. And he tells them that I don't judge according to the flesh like you. I don't judge that way. Jesus' judgment is on what? Unbelief. Isn't that beautiful to think about this morning? That he doesn't judge us like the religious leaders because none of us would make the cut, right? We wouldn't make the cut. We wouldn't make the team. But Jesus judges based on belief and unbelief. He doesn't judge like the religious leaders. His judgment is true because what? He is not alone in it. And I want you to keep getting that this morning. Jesus keeps coming back to what? His relationship with the Father. He's not alone in his judgment because Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus is judging alongside with the Father. And so what he says here is now you have a testimony of two, just like the law says you've got to have for something to be true. And he says you have my testimony and you have the testimony of God the Father. 
And so listen to how the religious crew, how do they respond to this? Look at verse 19 and 20. So they were saying to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one seized him because his hour had not come yet. So what's interesting here, they ask, where's your father? So how are they thinking? They're not thinking on the same lines of Jesus. Jesus is thinking eternal. They're thinking not of God the Father like Jesus is, but they're thinking according to the flesh. Let's put the pause button for a second. How often do we find ourselves there? How often do we get caught and kind of going through the week and, and kind of going through the, the to-do list, the, the schedule during the week from one thing to another, and how often do we get caught there where we're thinking in the flesh? We can get caught in that trap, can't we? But can't. And that's where the religious leaders were. That's where they hung out at. They, they lacked understanding. They couldn't see. They couldn't see because what? They do not know Jesus as the light of the world. They think he's talking about an earthly father, and they're missing it. They're missing it because he's talking about his heavenly father. And so Jesus continues to show how he is the light of the world. Look at verse 21. He said again to them, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. But look at verse 22. The Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below, I'm from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus tells them here that he's going away. But they will continue to do what? to wait and look for the Messiah. That's what it means when he says, you will seek me. Jesus is saying, I'm the one, I'm the Messiah, but you've missed me. You've missed me as that. And you'll continue to seek, you'll continue to look, but as you do, you will eventually die in your sin. And that's the history of the Jews for some 2,000 years. They continue to wait and to seek for the Messiah. They've missed Jesus as the true Messiah. And that's the story of many. They've missed Jesus as the one who can truly save them and give them life. And here on this earth, many miss that daily. And they die in their sins, just as Jesus says, meaning they die in their unbelief as a result of the rejection of Jesus. And they're separated from God forever in outer darkness, in a real place called hell. Instead of going where Jesus is, instead of going to be with the Father, they miss out on that. But again, Listen to what they say. They say in response to Jesus, is he going to take his own life? I mean, how off the wall does that seem? I mean, we read that this morning, we're thinking, what in the, where are you at? That's what spiritual darkness looks like. They can't see. Why? They don't have the light. 
They don't have the light. But he says something right here, and it's the main point that he keeps getting back to. And it's in verse 24. He says, therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. What's the point? He's saying, I'm he. I am he. That word right there, that phrase right there, is the same rendering of Exodus 3. Jesus is saying here, I am who I am. I've always been, always will be. I'm eternal. I'm God. I'm God. And unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. So we must believe. We must believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is God himself. Or otherwise, will perish. And then look at verse 25. So they were saying to him again, who are you? <laughs> this is great. I love, I love this, man. I, love, I hate it, but I love it. I hate it for them, right? But I love it. It's, it's, Jesus said to them, what have I been saying from the beginning? I'd be very interesting how he said that, right? Loving, no doubt, but also convicting. This isn't something new, right? I mean, we see through John, we see through other gospels that Jesus came saying, I'm from above. I'm God. Now, right here, he, he might say it a little differently in referring to I am, right? I am he. I am who I am. But he says, I've been saying this from the beginning. I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you in verse 26, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, this I speak to you. Emphasis there in those two verses is he who sent me is true. Jesus is the true light. Remember, the Jews did not see that. They had other things that they viewed as the true light. And Jesus consistently comes back to the one who sent me is true, true. And the things which I heard from him, this I speak to the world. Jesus is the true light. He continues to emphasize that. And then look, finally, look at verse 27 and 30. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. I love John here. John kind of pauses and he says, I want to help my readers out who are reading here. And he tells them, I don't want you to be confused like the Pharisees and the scribes are confused. I want to help you out. And he says right here, Jesus is speaking about the Father, the Heavenly Father. And then he continues in verse 28 and tells us what Jesus says. He says, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. What do we see here at the end? The religious leaders, their ignorance, their opposition will lead to what? It will lead to them putting Jesus on the cross. And Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, which is a messianic term that the prophet Daniel used to speak of the coming Messiah. 
and his enemies would lift him up. They would put him on the cross as we celebrate on Good Friday. And Jesus says here, when you do, there will be those who realize that I am he, that I am the self-existing, eternal God. As we see on this day, there will be those who believe, and we've seen over 2,000 years of church history, there are those who have believed because Jesus has died for them on the cross. And not all his enemies, not all his critics will be convinced of his true identity. But there are those today, as we saw the story of Chris in 2011, who because of Christ dying for her, have believed. You see, the death of Jesus on the cross as one who is one with the Father is the great central truth of the gospel. And that's what Jesus is speaking of here. And Jesus says, my Father never leaves me. I'm not alone in this thing. Even on the cross, I'm not alone in this. And his ultimate purpose is to please him. I want us to stop for a second. We've just got a few minutes of some application here. But I want to ask a question. Why and how is Jesus the light of the world according to what we just heard? Let me give you four things real quick. He's the light of the world because he comes from the Father. That what is made, that's what makes him the true light. Because of where he comes from. He comes from the Father. He's the light of the world because he's going to the Father. He's the light of the world because what he does and speaks is by the authority of God the Father. And ultimately, he's the light of the world because he's one with the Father. And that speaks to who Jesus is. He's God. That's why Jesus is the light of the world. It's because he is God. He's the only true light. So in light of this, look at verse 12 again. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So application, a few things here, look at this. It says, he who follows me. The idea is following Jesus for who he is. Not for who you want him to be. I mean, that was the problem with the crowd on Palm Sunday, right? I mean, they they wanted him to come and overthrow Rome. They saw him as a different type of king than what he came to be, the suffering servant who would die for them. It's not for being some miracle bread like those on the day of the feeding of the 5,000 or more. They, they wanted Jesus just for miracle bread and miracles, right? That's not who Jesus is. He's, he's not the Easter bunny. He's not Santa Claus. He's not just dispensing things out. But we follow him for who he really is. You follow him. You're literally joining yourself to him. When we follow him, we have him. According to this verse, it says, you will have the light of life, meaning you have Jesus if you're following him. He's yours. He is your good shepherd. He is your door. He is your vine. He is your bread of life. He is your God. 
And when you follow him, literally it's the idea that you have sided with his party. It's what Jesus came for into the world. And when he comes into the world, it's about choosing up sides. Either you follow him or you don't. To follow him is to believe in him. Not to follow him is to reject him for who he really is. And so he says, follow him. And then he says, he who follows me as the true light will walk not in darkness anymore. And so those who believe and follow Jesus will not walk in darkness, but those who reject him for who he is, they do not believe, and therefore they will follow Jesus continually in darkness. And so what does that mean? Darkness is the idea of ignorance. Ignorance of divine things. It's the inability to know God. We just saw a picture of it. The Pharisees didn't get it. They kept on asking, who are you? Where's your father? Is he going to go kill himself? I mean, those are the types of things. Because why? They were blind. They couldn't see. And this is our condition before we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We're ignorant. Not only that, darkness speaks of wickedness. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17, 9, that our heart is more deceitful than all else. Our hearts are desperately sick and wicked. Who can understand the heart? That's what our heart is like before one gets a new heart when they believe in Jesus Christ. In fact, in Ephesians 2, I won't read it all for the sake of time, but I'll let you um, write it down. Ephesians 2, 1 and 3 tells us that we are in darkness before we come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior. We're in wickedness. We're people of disobedience. That's our story. That's, that's who we are without Jesus. And the result of that, the third aspect of darkness, is the result of that darkness, is that those who die in their sins face misery in outer darkness. Outer darkness, Jesus says, is the place of hell. It's the place where weeping and gnashing of teeth occur. And that's where those who die in their sins, who do not believe, who reject Jesus, they perish in darkness forever. But that doesn't have to be one's destiny. Remember the context here. Jesus did not come to bring condemnation, but for those who are in him, who have him as the light of the world, They've been set free from the power of darkness and from the power of death because now they see. And Jesus has come on a search and rescue mission to be the light of the world so that you would believe. And then lastly, look what he says. He says, you have the light of life. You have the light of life. Real simply in John chapter 1 verse 4 John spoke of Jesus being the word, and he says, in him, Jesus was the life, and the life was the light of men. And so what does it mean to have the light of life? It means this, that the life was the light of men, so the life gives light. What's the life? The life is Jesus. And the life Jesus has, the life he shares with those who follow him, gives us light. So what does that tell us about these religious leaders? They didn't have the life of Christ in them. The Bible tells us in John chapter 3, how do we receive eternal life? Those who are born again. We have to have a new life. We have to have the life of Jesus. 
that is brought to us by the Spirit. And without that life, we don't see. We're blind and we stay in darkness. But with that life, we have the light. The light of life. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to take us from our dead and blind existence to the light of life found only in Christ. To have new spiritual eyes. To have our eyes open. And so this morning, as we close, as we think about who Jesus really is, I want you to hear John 12, when Jesus brings up the idea of light again, listen to what he says. Verse 35 and 36, he says, For a little while longer, the light is among you, talking about himself. He says, Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. The world has no other light than Jesus Christ. It is Jesus or darkness. There's no third choice. There's no third alternative. And everyone needs Jesus as their light. For those who believe in Jesus to be the true light, the light will never go out. Even when one dies, the world thinks, oh, their light has gone out. But that's not true. For those who believe, they explode into glorious light forever. Let me ask you this morning, are you following Jesus? Do you have him as the light of life? I want to tell you this morning that Jesus has come. He's died for you and I so that he can take us out of darkness and bring us into beautiful light. But as we've heard this morning, we must believe. We must believe. I honestly believe this. In John 12, where he says, he who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. And it says that that darkness will overtake you. Darkness will overtake those who stay in it. It will. That's what Jesus says. Don't let darkness overtake you this morning. Maybe you are in Christ, and maybe you're in a dark time. Maybe you're struggling. See Christ truly as the light this morning, the light of your life. Maybe you've never trusted in Christ this morning. Don't let darkness win out. Jesus came to dispel that darkness and to give you the light of life. Believe in him today. Let me pray.